Welcome to BIB Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of business in Vancouver. I'm Kurt LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. While British Columbia's economy has been heavily driven by resource development over the decades, its sustainable options rest clearly in industries and technologies that have smaller environmental footprints, that operate sustainably, that mitigate the impact on climate change, that even remediate some of the damages to date. BC's clean tech sector is maturing very quickly, arising in part from an inherent leadership here on the green economy, dating back more than a quarter century. Still, there remain considerable challenges for clean tech companies, and at or near the top of the list are there concerns about intellectual property. How does it get protected? How does it get shared? How does it get retained in this country when other countries seem very willing to pay for its presence to take it away from us? I think we're in for an interesting conversation today on this with Brock Ripley. He's partner at the Gowling WLG law firm here in Vancouver. He's the head of the Vancouver office's intellectual property department, and he's built a widespread reputation in the sector for his accomplishments in procuring and commercializing what we're going to call for the balance of our discussion, IP. Good to see you. Thanks, Kirk, for having me. Pleasure to be here. This is a this is a large business, is it not? It's no longer you know, the uh, multi-million dollar business, it's a, it's potentially a multi-billion dollar business. So what are top of mind some of the emerging challenges that are there for the sector around, around intellectual property? Well, I'd say definitely it's a multi-billion dollar business now. So I would go beyond saying it's potentially a multi-billion dollar business. For companies, particularly in British Columbia, um, well, really not just British Columbia, but Canada as a whole, we tend to skew towards small and medium-sized enterprises, SMEs. So the challenges mm-hmm. these companies face, um, not just in the clean tech sector, but certainly uh, also in the clean tech sector, access to capital, you need money to fund development. I think that's particularly true for clean tech, where it's not possible in a lot of cases just to bootstrap yourself by sitting alone in front of a computer. You need to actually create tangible equipment that is going to be sold and shipped. Um, Talent is always an issue. There is a worldwide drive for talent, uh, particularly when you're just north of the largest economy on the planet, where there is a lot of capital um, to attract that talent. You've got to fight for it. And not just when you're a startup, but as you're scaling up, there are lots of stories around town where people are looking to secure talent in the form of CFOs or CEOs as companies grow. And that can be a little difficult in this country. And yes, intellectual property, which is my bread and butter, what I do day in, day out, not just securing it, but the issues that affect our country as a whole, which is even if it has been secured, does it stay in the country Uh, or does it leak to other jurisdictions and maybe other jurisdictions take the benefit of that Canadian IP? Yeah. Is is IP um, one of those bargaining chips that comes when you get another round of financing in exchange for the investment. Uh, there's this leakage that takes place. I think it can be, yes. Yeah. So it, there are so many different contexts or examples where um, where that can happen. Um, so let's say, for example, um, we mentioned, or I just mentioned, access to capital. And it may be that if you're a Canadian company and you need to raise capital, that you're unable to do it with Canadian dollars. So it could be that a lot of the IP you've created with the help of uh, Canadian government financing 
by virtue of having to go to the United States or Europe to raise capital or China, now suddenly that IP is owned by a foreign company, despite the fact that the risk was borne by Canadian taxpayers as they funded the company at an earlier stage of development. Okay. Uh, is that fair? <laughs> uh, for, as, a, as a taxpayer, I would say I would prefer we had a different outcome. I, I would prefer if um, a lot of that IP stayed owned by Canadians, or at least more of it. Because what ends up happening, one thing Canada is really great at, I think, is providing incentives for SMEs in the forms of grants or loans or other kinds of government funding to grow. And that's really important because, of course, as we all know, early stages is very high risk. Um, but the companies that emerge from those early stages, once they hit a certain size and the risk is a little bit lower, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily fair. It's certainly, I think, not the best outcome for the country. If once the risk has been borne by the taxpayer, perhaps foreign capital can come in and purchase the company then have access to the intellectual property. Yeah. Is there uh, anything that can really be done, though, to prevent a company from shedding its handcuffs here and, and just going wherever wherever the bidders are? Um, I think there. I think the answer is yes. I think there are a few things that can be done. So taken to an extreme, there are cases where an organization like Investment Canada can come in and say, we're not going to allow a foreign company to, to come in and, and purchase this Canadian company. That still happens relatively rarely. It's probably for the best that it happens relatively rarely, but it does happen. And I think we've seen some examples of that um, in the news. Um, there are some other programs that government has invested in to make it easier for Canadian companies to grow and be successful. So for example, there has been a lot of talk and I think some action on helping clean tech companies make their first sales to the Canadian government. Um, a lot of companies, if the answer is you need capital, well, I, let me take a step back. The answer is not so much you need capital in the form of investment, it's that you need revenue to fund further development. So if you can generate that revenue by making your first sales to Canadian companies or to Canadian um, institutions, then fantastic. That's a great way to do it. Because isn't it odd that you, you could get government funding for your ideas, but you wouldn't have government as a first customer? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think that is very odd. And when you talk to a lot of these clean, clean tech entrepreneurs, they say, we want to do business. We don't want to just take um, yeah. um, a, a, a grant from the government. I mean, that's great. They're appreciative. And they say, we'll, we'll use that for the betterment of our business and for Canada generally. But they're in the business to make product and to sell product. And um, they, want, they want to sell and generate revenue that way. When you see that we largely have an SME uh, uh, sector, if you want to call it that, here it's it's much much more prevalent than the large companies. Does that necessarily make Canada a lot more vulnerable than other countries? Do you think? I think I'm not sure "vulnerable" is the right word, but I think it is definitely a policy issue that um, that different levels of government are aware of and trying to fix, but it's not an easy problem to fix. I, I yeah. think there are a couple reasons why we're, we're in that boat. So historically, Canada has very heavily been a resource-driven economy. 
Um, and to transition from resource-driven to tech-driven, it's something we're working on, but that takes time. You don't do it overnight. Um, I think another um, reason we're, we're in that boat is, of course, we're right next to the United States, massive economy, m- massive flows of capital. Uh, and when Canadian companies hit certain sizes, time and time again, we see a c- American companies say, that's a very attractive um, target. So they can come up here and, and make an acquisition. Um, and it's not necessarily, I think, I think the tough part is if you're an entrepreneur who has, who has spent a lot of time and effort um, building a Canadian company, it's not irrational to sell it. It can be, it can be the rational choice, but it, it makes it very difficult to scale. Um, and when that happens, then yeah, we, we do end up vulnerable in the sense that, uh, our large companies or companies that have the potential to be large end up being owned by non-Canadians, which means a lot of the benefits of R&D and a lot of profit flow to flow, flow outside the country. Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the uh, um, earlier players in all of this uh, has been very outspoken on it. I think Jim Balsillie, right, from, yeah. uh, from BlackBerry days, who really has expressed a lot of concern that Canada has lost a lot of its own sovereignty in in this digital age by virtue of uh, of losing intellectual property south of the border and well to europe to asia to wherever uh, mm-hmm. and all of it so so how what are the strategies to protect it rock so if you're an sme i i think the the, the, the well let me take a step back so i i'm going to answer i think the questions in two ways if you're a larger entity um, I think the answer is a little more formulaic. A lot of larger companies that are generating revenue and can afford to protect innovation using, for example, patents will have structured committees and workflows and processes where you can um, harness innovation, document it, decide what to protect via patents, and then file internationally. And that is an established process that a lot of larger Canadian companies use. When you're smaller, of course, the problem, not just when you're smaller, maybe is time and money. Um, You may not have the money to protect everything you would want to protect. In fact, you are not so much using money to protect the IP, but you want to protect your technology using IP to raise money the other way around. And Mm -hmm. there, what I tell clients is you need a narrative, you need a strategy that makes sense when you're speaking to investors. So you have to understand What's giving you your competitive advantage in the marketplace? Presume you weren't constrained by dollars. What is the best way you would protect all this technology? Have a plan, rank your technology in terms of what is most technically innovative, what is most commercially valuable, um, what can you commercialize without making public? Um, Have that ranking and then let's go through it one by one and decide where do you spend those dollars and make some smart decisions as to where to spend, where to patent using, or where to protect using patents, and where to protect using less expensive forms of intellectual property, for example, trademarks or copyright, or trade secret or copyright. Yeah, I'm intrigued in this area on the other side of it too, which is the the, the culture that exists, I think much more now than than even before, in, um, in sharing and in collaborating, mm-hmm. um, and in some respects, uh, almost collectivizing some of the patent um, patent information in order to create better and better services, products, goods, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada's a bit late in the game on this one, isn't it? Around collectives with patents. I mean, other countries are, are 
doing pretty well with this. We're we're still newbies, it feels like. I think we are a little late in the game with patent collectives, but that could be for a couple of reasons. Um, a lot of times patent collectives arise in response to patent trolls. So patent trolls, like a lot of your listeners probably know, it's when you have companies that own a lot of patents, but don't actually make product or conduct business in the normal way, take those patents and sue other people. And then you get patent collectives that can sort of provide a safe harbor for people wanting protection from those trolls. Historically in Canada, trolls have not been a problem in in Canada. I mean, you have Canadian companies go to the US. You mentioned Jim Balsilli, he knows all about trolls. But within Canada, it hasn't been a massive problem for, I think, a variety of reasons. So that's one reason why collectives, I think, in this country haven't been... Um, uh, haven't been so prominent. That is starting to change. The uh, Last year, the government of Canada launched the Intellectual Asset Collective, IAC yep. for clean tech, and part of their mandate is to have collectives. Again, I think more for Canadian companies looking to expand internationally than companies who are a little smaller, who are confined to the Canadian market right now. Um, but I do want to touch as well on another point you raised. You talked about collaboration. Collaboration... Uh, that's something the government's also trying to incentivize through the superclusters, for example. If you look at the one we have right here in Vancouver, the digital technology supercluster, the projects they fund uh, require collaboration between a large entity and a small entity. And that is something where definitely you can leverage IP rights so that you can collaborate intelligently without giving away your innovation to the public. I think there's a conception that collaboration means, well, you give everything away freely and then what's in this free pool you take from. Yeah. And that's one way you can do it, sure. But I think that's a form of IP leakage because you're not, of course, just giving to other Canadians who can share with that. <laughs> you once, once it's in the public, it's available for anyone to use. So you can protect your technology using IP and then collaborate using license agreements in a way that makes sure um, that you and Canadians maintain some control, can generate some profit while also harnessing the benefits of collaboration. Yeah, I mean, because there, there are distinctions there too between, say, patents and a trade secret. That's correct. That's correct. That's that's a very important distinction. In fact, there are two sides of the coin. A trade mm -hmm. secret is only a viable form of protection if you can develop and commercialize something while keeping it secret. So, for example, you may have an algorithm that you implement in software, and then you commercialize that software as a service, so people log into your platform enter some data, your algorithm processes it on the back end, spits out a result, and you really can't reverse engineer what that algorithm was from the data that a user gets. That's an example where you can harness trade secret to protect your, your IP in the form of the algorithm. But in the clean tech sector, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times the innovation is different. The innovation is equipment, or it's a process that has to be publicly described in order to be commercialized. So for example, if you are... Um, doing some kind of carbon capture and you are constructing a plant and you want to license that technology to others in other jurisdictions so they can construct their own plants and um, uh, do a lot of this technology or implement a lot of this technology internationally by virtue of uh, making it public or by virtue of commercializing, you may not be able to keep it a secret anymore. Or you may be in the wastewater treatment industry. And let's say you want to treat wastewater that is a result of mining. If you're going to construct equipment and sell that equipment and ship it internationally, 
by virtue of those sales, you can't keep the equipment secret. So in examples like that, if you can't keep it secret, really the only option you have from a legal perspective is patents. Yeah, well, it's because it sounds like a, a very risky period of your operation. It, it is absolutely risky. And that is something we see a lot, um, not just in court cases, although, of course, that 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 um, uh, we see a lot too. I see a disproportionate amount of that, but also um, when companies are going to raise money, part of raising money is due diligence. So when an investor comes in and they say, we want to invest in your company, but we want to make sure that your technology is protected so that our investment will get a return. They ask right. you questions like, have you made these sales? How have you kept it protected? Um, and you go through the list and you go item by item. And if the answer is, well, we didn't think about it in advance. We made the sales and we didn't file for patents and it's too late. That can be a very uncomfortable answer and it can affect evaluation uh, negatively. No kidding. Uh, I, I want to go back to the SMEs here in this one because I, I want to get uh, your observation about how well or not well um, companies are, of that size are, are uh, spending enough attention on IP compared to say their other business concerns. Um, I, I think, I think generally SMEs, uh, it's always top of mind. Um, I, I think in the aggregate, we do a pretty good job. Um, there's always a way to do a better job. I think we do a pretty good job. Um, I do think culturally, uh, we, we do lag behind a bit. For example, I always use America as an example, given how close we are and how big they are. I, I do mm -hmm. think culturally they are a little better at it. Um, uh, beyond culture, I, I think a problem SMEs face are some of the structural impediments that we've discussed about Canada be, being smaller and about access to capital that make it harder. So I think you, you, we, we do an okay job. We could do better. Why do we do only an okay job? I think it's a combination of cultural and structural reasons. When you say cultural, is it because we're, uh, we're not as cutthroat? That's one way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's actually a good way of putting it. Um, okay. I, you know, if you, you ask around, I've had conversations with people where sometimes, um, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk about intellectual property and an answer will be, well, um, I just don't think we should patent that. I don't think we should protect it. I think we should freely give it away. I think, well, well, why? That's not, that's not an answer that a lot of our competitors in different countries have. You look at patent activity in the United States and China, um, that, that's not, that's not their attitude. Um, yeah. And, and is that a, a bit more endemic in, in say the environmental industries where there, where maybe people got into them with, uh, with perhaps slightly different values? Maybe I'm that, that's a really good question. Um, and I, I can't speak to that point. I think a lot of it comes from um, where, where the money and the funding and the business experience come from. So let me use a couple of examples. Um, sometimes we can talk with uh, uh, innovators or inventors who will have certain experiences in academia. And in academia, brilliant people, but it's a different business model. You, you get recognition and funding through publication and reputation more than through um, generating proprietary rights and, and capitalizing on them. Um, as another example, 
Canada historically, of course, rich in natural resources, great at commercializing them. But there, the value isn't in intellectual property, it's intangible property. So if you own the rights to the minerals, if you own the rights to the lumber, that's what generates the revenue. And making that transition um, from the tangible to the intangible or the intellectual property as a revenue generator, I think a bit it is a bit of a paradigm shift that I, I think is still going on and developing in this country. Can you see in, in the time that you spend in this field, can you see any kind of emerging impact of this new crop of companies, of even sectors that are more around clean tech, more around the environment, more around mitigating climate change. Can you see any impact yet, Rock, where they are almost reshaping the conventional concepts of intellectual property? And, you know, is there is there an emerging ethos from all of this? So I certainly see an impact in that there's been a lot of activity and development and success in the province and the city over, let's say, the past 15 years. It's a lot of activity. I wouldn't say they're reshaping the ethos of of intellectual property because of clean tech. In fact, I would almost turn that question on its head because a lot of the knock on intellectual property is that it's not great, particularly the patent system at protecting certain new kinds of innovation. For example, software patents, of course, get a lot of press about Um, not being the best for the economy. And one of the interesting things I find about clean tech is that it actually is something that is in IP's bailiwick. Why? Because you're spending a lot of capital to create tangible equipment that gets shipped and sold internationally. And those are all things the patent system is actually pretty good at protecting, as opposed to um, uh, a lot of the kinds of innovations that we saw during the dot-com boom, where... I think we saw courts and economies really struggle to adapt um, existing legal structures to a lot of the tech that was being developed then. Clean tech, I almost see as a return to form. It's something that's a a cleaner and easier to understand fit with uh, the patent system. Interesting. I I wanna uh, finish here with getting some observations again from you on, um, on the significance of this. You know, we, we are talking about billions of dollars and we're talking about our basically the future nature of our knowledge economy here mm-hmm. um, as ensuring that somehow we have uh, a, a form of sovereignty as a nation so that we, we can develop and retain uh, our best and brightest and our ideas. And obviously that comes into patents and, and our IP. Um, is the attention on government uh, sufficient to this task? Um, are, are we are we getting the right kind of leadership uh, in order to strategically position ourselves competitively, not just with our neighbor to the south, because I think we would recognize that's that's a difficult neighbor to be competitive with overall, but with, I guess with the wider world, so that Canada isn't isn't a real weakling in this. I I think it's certainly an issue that government is aware of and is working on, but I think. I think we can do better. And why do I say that? A couple of reasons. One, you look at what our international competitors, again, let's not even look at America. Let's look at the rise of China the last 20 or 30 years. They're the number one filer 
in the world right now, if you consider their domestic applications, even if you exclude those, there's been a huge amount of activity um, internationally by China. You look at South Korea, more comparable country in terms of economy and uh, sorry, sorry, in terms of economic size, in terms of population size. And you look at them over the course of the last 30, 40 years. Um, they have, of course, uh, become a tech powerhouse internationally through R&D. You look at Australia uh, and how Australia and us compare to America. I think it's pretty well known that, of course, our GDP per capita is lower than the Americans, but our productivity is actually lower than the Americans. And that gap is increasing bit by bit every year. And in Australia, because of their industrial policy, it's actually narrowing relative to ours. So I do think other countries are doing a better job. I think government is aware of that, trying to fix it. And for whatever reason, we're having a pretty tough time uh, fixing it. But we, we can be doing better. Other countries are doing better. And it's not just the Americans. So there's a lot of uh, potential there. All right. So I'm going to try to take uh, a full circle here in the last question. And it has to do with, let's just say I'm starting my company this afternoon. What's your first bit of advice for me on how I ensure that my intellectual property doesn't find itself going astray? What, what do you do at the start as a company to make sure that you've got integrity uh, in terms of your IP protection? You, you need three complementary kinds of protection. You need legal protection. At the start, that's typically contractual. You want to make sure that people have access to your ideas. I promise to keep it secret. You need physical protection so that when you're at your shop with your employees working on things, that people just can't come in and see what you're working on. Because if you ever have to enforce your legal rights, courts are going to ask, did you actually do more than just put words on a piece of paper? Did you actually protect the place you were working? And you need cyber protection because, of course, cybersecurity is a constant threat. You need a trifecta of all three to keep those ideas secret until you decide what to do with them. If you keep them secret, you can decide at a later date, do I want to patent it? Do I not? And from that, you can develop a strategy and a story you can tell investors so that you have a narrative that can convince them to invest in you and so that you disclose and you protect on your own terms as opposed to finding one day an unfortunate surprise where you've erroneously or accidentally shot yourself in the foot. Yeah. Yeah, that must be a horrible, horrible feeling for a for a company, and but it's happened here a lot. Um, mm -hmm. Listen, I've learned a lot, and uh, I'm really happy you could join me today to talk about this. It, it was my pleasure to join you. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it, it's an area of in incredible opportunity for the country. I think um, not only is it important because it's the cup of technology, but I think you know going back to a theme we touched on before, we're historically natural resources driven. That's always going to be an important part of our economy. It's always going to be something that's important for the world. Uh, and a lot of the investment and activity I've seen in clean tech actually is driven and paired with natural resources. We're going to continue to mine, for example. We're going to continue to um, produce oil and gas. That has negative environmental impacts. We, we can um, invest in clean tech uh, so that we can have the benefits of clean technology while also supporting um, our more traditional industries. It's something I think that could really disproportionately benefit this country. And I think you'd agree that right now, uh, this is an interesting window on this with the political leadership that we have at a national and a provincial level. Uh, these, are, these are governments that are very much 
trying to drive this sector as quickly as they can. Um, it just has to come along and come along in a mature way. Absolutely, I agree with that. Um, the The pandemic, I think, has really made people think about uh, these kinds of international problems like climate change and clean tech, and also for how to get the economy going as we emerge from this strange year and a half period of limbo. And where is uh, where are the public and private sectors going to invest? Clean tech seems like a, a great place to do it for all the reasons we've talked about. Yeah. Well, Rock Ripley of Galling WLG, thanks a lot for your time today. Good to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. You've been watching BIV Today. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. We'll see you again 